0: If you've known me for a while, you know that I like to change up my appearance pretty regularly. I'll grow my beard all the way out real thick and then abruptly cut it off into a mustache or clean shaven and look like I'm 12 again. Sometimes I like to grow my hair out really long and then abruptly cut it all the way off and go super short, and then start the whole process all over again. I'm not entirely sure of all the reasons why I do this, mainly because it's kind of fun, Uh, But also, I think part of it is because I don't really enjoy going to get my haircut. Anybody out there really like going to get a haircut? I know there's a few things about it that are pretty enjoyable. I I can't deny that it smells really good in barbershops and salons. I think it's all the potions and creams that they use. I uh, admit that you you leave that place feeling pretty fresh, um, and it could be interpreted to feel good to have a haircut overall. But for me, what outweighs all of the good parts of the haircut experience is the forced conversation. I'm somewhat of an introvert myself. I don't enjoy forced conversations and I have to work through quite a bit of social anxiety. And haircuts are a prime place where social anxiety exists for me. And so every time I go to get a haircut, I just would rather not. And so if I can avoid all of that uncomfortableness and save a few dollars, yeah, I'm going to do that. So I grow my hair out pretty regularly. In fact, several times over the last few years, I've grown my hair out, but I've been keeping it short lately, and I want to tell you today the story of my last two haircuts. Now, the first of them was by far the absolute best haircut I've ever had in my life. I've never really been one of those people who like schedules with a specific stylist, because I'm trying to get out of there as quick as possible so I always just select first available so on this particular day that's exactly what I did and finally it was my turn I got called up and I take my place in the chair and the hairstylist asks me what I would like her to do to my hair so I tell her I explain what the situation is how I would like my haircut she seems to understand and she goes about our business and that is the last words that we spoke to each other until it was time me to pay throughout the whole haircut. No forced awkwardness, no forced conversations, no weird sitting in the chair and telling each other our life stories, even though we're probably never going to see each other again. None of that. She just did her job and she did an incredible job. She cut my hair like she had been cutting my hair since I was a child. She anticipated all the cowlicks and all the problem areas of my hair. Like she had been cutting my hair for years. It was an incredible experience. I was a little bit nervous at the beginning that I hadn't communicated as clearly as I could have, that I didn't give her all the information that she needed, but she knew exactly what to do. And so it was great. I left that haircut. I walked out of the building feeling like a million bucks, walking on a cloud, a pep in my step, ready to take on the world with this haircut. However, as hair has been known to do, it grew back. And so it came time for me to go and get another haircut. And this time I actually considered being one of those schedules with a specific hairstylist type of guys because she did such a great job. But life gets busy, things happen. I needed a haircut that day. We had family pictures coming up and I forgot her name. So I figured, you know what? I'll come across her eventually again. She hopefully will work here for a while. And at some point, maybe things will work out for me to get my hair cut by this lady again. And so I go in there. I'm like, I just got to get a haircut today. I select first available. And wouldn't you know it, the planets aligned. Fate would have it. She was my hairstylist for that day. I was excited. I was thrilled at the opportunity. Maybe, just maybe, I found the person who will cut my hair for the rest of my life because she did that good of a job the first time. So I go, I sit in the chair, but unfortunately this haircut experience was vastly different from the first one. I don't know if it was this time I really didn't communicate as well as I thought I could. I don't know if she was just simply having an off day, but whatever it was, maybe a combination of the two, this ended up being the worst haircut of my life. I walked out feeling self-conscious about my hair, dejected, not excited about what I looked like with my hair. And that haircut experience was actually my most recent haircut experience. And it was so bad, you know what? I might as well just grow my hair back out. Now, how could these two experiences exist right next to each other? How could I have the best haircut of my life immediately followed a few months later by the worst haircut of my life? Especially given the fact that seemingly nothing was different. I got my hair cut at the exact same place, on the exact same day, by the exact same person. I'm sure my hair didn't change all that much other than growing a bit longer. All of the conditions seemed to be the same. There were no great differences between the two encounters that I can recall, and yet the two experiences themselves could not be more different. Many of us, I believe, go through this exact experience when it comes to our prayer life. Weren't expecting that, were you? I'm sure when you were thinking to yourself, where are these haircut stories going? Your guess would not have been prayer, except for maybe the hint of an intro video and some graphics. But these two experiences, I think, illustrate something that happens to us in prayer. Have you ever set out to be a person of prayer? Maybe you set a New Year's resolution to pray more. Maybe you set a goal for each day to pray at least a little bit at some point, even if it's a small amount of time throughout the day. If you have, the question is, how did that go? My guess, if you're anything like me, is that that experience was similar to my experience with the two haircuts. Maybe you would enter into a time of prayer and it was incredible. You felt the Lord's presence as real as if He was physically in the room with you. You experienced the peace of God in a way that's hard to put into words and it was just a great time. You felt focused, everything went right. And then some other days passed and you came back to prayer and you had an experience that was completely different. You felt as though you couldn't stay focused. Every little thing was taking your, your focus away and you were easily distracted. You couldn't keep your mind from wandering. You weren't able to be fully present. Maybe for you, this juxtaposition wasn't just between one experience of prayer and another experience of prayer. Maybe it was seasons of prayer. Maybe for you, you experienced a season of prayer that was just incredible. You you felt the nearness of God. You saw His hand move. You saw prayers be answered. And then that season came to a close. Something changed. And all of a sudden, you found yourself in a season of prayer where it felt like God was not there, where your prayers weren't being heard. Maybe this difficult season or experience in prayer is the reason that you don't pray much anymore. The heartbreak and pain of unanswered prayer feels like too much to put your heart through again. Or maybe for you, the reason you've slowed down in your prayer life is simply busyness. The deadlines at work pile up as high, almost as high as the stack of dishes in the sink. The kids are demanding every single day your schedule gets tighter and tighter you haven't had time for yourself in ages and even when you do even when you get a moment for yourself to try and read or catch up on your watch list at night it seems like you can't keep your eyes open and so where exactly is prayer supposed to fit in our busy schedules and maybe for you your challenge to prayer isn't a lack of results it isn't frustration it's not even your busy schedule. Maybe for you, your challenge to prayer is that you feel you simply don't know how to pray. Maybe no one ever taught you. Maybe in your family of origin, prayer wasn't something that was encouraged or modeled for you as a worthwhile use of your time. Maybe you have a somewhat general idea about what prayer is, but you aren't quite sure how to go deeper into it, how to go further in a life of prayer. Maybe your understanding of prayer is that it's, it's something that we do. It's something that we have a checklist of and we get it checked off and then we move on rather than viewing prayer as someone that we become. And so today I want to extend an invitation to all of us to go deeper in prayer, to step beyond our surface level understandings of prayer and go into a deeper life of communication with God. And so what we're gonna do together is look at what the Bible has to say about these three challenges that we all face. The times where we're inconsistent in prayer, what we're supposed to do when we reach dead ends in prayer, and that feeling that we all can't shake that maybe we don't even know how to pray. And so we're gonna look at the biblical antidote to each of those challenges, and then imagine together practices to put the biblical vision of prayer into practice in our daily lives. But before we do all that, I think it's important to set out a definition to work from together. Now, I'm fully aware of the challenge of trying to define something like prayer. Prayer, trying to define it, is a lot like if I were to ask you, how do you define love? If I were to do that, I feel like we would all have several different definitions, and even all of our definitions combined wouldn't encompass everything that there is to explain about love and the same is true about prayer. Everything there is to learn and know about prayer can't even be contained in a single book, which is why there are so many books about prayer. And if it can't be contained in a single book, it certainly can't be contained in a single sermon. And if it can't be contained in the sermon, it certainly can't be contained in a single definition, but we've got to at least try. So I think something that could be really helpful for us is to look together at several different definitions of prayer from some different authors and theologians and pastors throughout the years. And these are a few of my favorite ones. And together, I think we can take pieces from each and build together what we will use as our working definition of prayer for our time together today. So we start with Dallas Willard, who defines prayer as talking with God about what we are thinking and doing together. It is co-laboring with God to accomplish the good purposes of his kingdom. It's working together with God and co-laboring with God and talking with God about what we're doing together. I love that. And a similar definition that's a bit shorter, more succinct, comes to us from Eugene Peterson, who says, prayer gets us in on what God is doing. We join in on what God is doing. Richard Foster observes that in prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, to will the things he wills. Progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. And then E.M. Bounds views prayer as the force through which God shapes the world. Now, those are all great definitions and let's put them all in a blender, work them all together, and come out with our own definition, which is this. Prayer is an ongoing lifestyle of communication with God That has the power to change both us and the world around us. See, for a long time, my own version, my own vision, my own understanding of prayer was much smaller and much narrower than that. I primarily viewed prayer as a channel through which we ask things of God, which isn't entirely wrong, it's just not the whole story. So while some of us struggle to pray because we're busy, some of us stop praying when we get discouraged or we don't even start praying because we aren't sure how, I think most of us face the challenge of not understanding the depth of what's available when we live a life of prayer. We stop short of all that God has for us in prayer. We give up before we get to the fullness that can be found. And so now that we have a bit of a common understanding of prayer and what we're working from, we're gonna turn to scripture and see what it has to say, and then imagine the practices together to help us live into that biblical vision of prayer. So if you have a, if you have a physical Bible close to you, go ahead and grab it, get your thumbs ready, because we're gonna move around quite a bit through some different sections. But if you don't, that's totally cool. They will be on the screen as well, or on your phone, or however you choose to find it. Now, let's not ease into it. Let's just jump head first in together into our, our verses today. Let's read a long portion. This is a really long portion we're going to read together. And let's get real wild with one another. Is that okay? Let's read it out loud if you feel comfortable doing that. This lengthy passage is found in First Thessalonians 5, verse 17. You ready? Here it is. Pray without ceasing. Okay, I was being a little silly. That's, that's pretty short. Pray without ceasing. If you have the NIV, it says to pray continually. The NLT tells us to never stop praying. That's a pretty good goal, right? But is such a thing even possible? Is it possible to pray without stopping? If our vision is of prayer is like mine used to be, of just making requests of God, then I don't think it's possible. We eventually will stop. If what we picture of prayer is simply a few moments with God going through a list of requests, then of course we'll stop. Things happen in life. We get distracted. We get busy. We have Things we have to do, we have responsibilities, people we have to interact with. And so asking asking God for things without stopping then would be impossible. Not to mention the fact that eventually we run out of things to ask God for. But if we keep in mind the layers of richness available beneath the surface level understanding of prayer, it becomes possible to truly pray without ceasing. Luckily for us, we have someone who modeled this way of living for us. Have you ever stopped to notice as you read through the Gospels just how much it draws attention to Jesus praying? Next time you read through the Gospels, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, keep your eyes focused and and ready, looking for how many times it mentions Jesus praying. All throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus praying without stopping. He lived how he, he invites us to live in an ongoing lifestyle of prayer. A practice of constant communication with God. But realistically speaking, how do we do that? How do we pray continually? And the answer to this is a practice that helps us pray without ceasing is something that has been called the practice of the presence of God. A guy named Brother Lawrence, I think his first name was Brother and his last name was Lawrence, wrote a book by that exact title. And he says this, The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for the different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. He's praying while he's doing other things. Business, prayer, they're not separate. They are one thing. Another person who excelled in this practice was a missionary named Frank Labock. His goal was simple. He says this, to have all my waking moments in conscious, listening to the inner voice. Asking without ceasing, what, Father, do you desire, said. What, Father, do you desire this minute? It is clear that this is exactly what Jesus was doing all day, every day. Now, could that be said of us? Do we ask Jesus moment by moment, second by second, thought by thought, Jesus, what do you desire me to do right now? What do you desire me to say right now? Regardless of what's going on in our lives around us, regardless of who's interacting with us or, or the demands that are on our life, do we live that way? The majority of us, I think the answer is no. If you wouldn't mind, it might be, feel a little silly at first, but let's imagine together, all of us, what our regular day looks like. Just the regular day, your regular routine. What's the first thing you do? Your alarm goes off. What's the first thing you pick up? Who's the first person that you see? Is exercise part of that morning routine? What's your breakfast routine like? How do you prepare your coffee? Do you even drink coffee? Is it a bowl of cereal? What does your breakfast routine look like? What does getting ready look like? Once you're ready, where do you go? Is there a commute? Is it simply a walk to another room? Is there a child that you need to drop off on your way? What do you do for the bulk of the morning? Is it meeting after meeting in the morning? Is your morning more relaxed and then more intense in the afternoon what happens at lunch where do you take your lunch break what happens in the afternoon when is your day over i'm sure all of us do all of those things or most of them each and every day but the question is in that daily routine where do you pray are there a few moments here and there squeezed in in your morning routine or on your lunch break or on your way home are there a few thoughts offered to God on your commute to or from work? Is there a quick blessing set over one or two of the meals throughout the day? And we see that, that routine. There's so many things from moment to moment. We move from so many different things throughout our day. And then we think about where can I fit prayer in? Can I get it in between here? Can I sneak some in here while I'm doing this? But what if instead of trying to squeeze prayer in between Moments, what if we instead fit the rest of our day around our prayers? What if we began to view each day as one big prayer, sandwiched by, squeezed in with little moments in between our prayers? What if we began to attempt to work prayer into and through each event of our day, each moment of our day? What if while we were in the shower, we, or fixing our coffee or making our breakfast, we invited God into our day to do with whatever he pleased? Could we listen to God as he speaks to us on our lunch break? Could we keep our eyes open to who we could be a blessing to, who God wants to tell us to encourage that we come across during that day? What if every interruption, every diaper change, every dirty dish, every conversation, every drive, every meal, every workday, every morning, every party, every person, every evening, every thought, every second, what if all of it, everything of life, was an opportunity to experience the presence of God? What if it was an opportunity to live deeper into prayer? Do we believe that God is big enough to care about each seemingly little moment in our daily life? And do we love him enough to live into that, to enter into a conversation with him that never stops? Now, this is something that I personally have felt the Lord leading me into this year. It was a New Year's resolution for me of sorts. And there have been incredible days throughout this year as I've attempted to practice the presence of God. There have been incredible days where I just feel God's presence with me throughout the entire day. Moments where I I just am living my life. I'm taking care of my kids. I'm driving to the pickup line. I'm doing chores, I'm working on church things, and I just feel God with me through all of it. I hear His voice, I feel His presence and His peace, and it's incredible. And then there's other days where I get distracted, where I am not focused, where even just simple laziness and tiredness takes over, and I go an entire day without speaking to God. But what I've found is that even when I get distracted and go long periods without communicating, when I realize that I've done that, And I turn back and come back to practice the presence of God. It is there that I find Jesus patiently waiting for me. And so scripture teaches us to pray without ceasing. And then it also teaches us to pray annoyingly. Yes, I said, scripture teaches us to pray annoyingly. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus told a parable. And starting with verse 1, it says this, One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in the dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I am going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Now, this parable is a lot of fun for a few different reasons. First of all, Jesus' parables are usually kind of intentionally confusing. Uh, Jesus would tell these stories to illustrate a deeper truth, but it's rare that he or the author of that part of the Bible would make the meaning clear. And that's what's happening here. Luke tells us exactly how to understand this parable. He tells us that it's about always praying, which we just talked about, but it's also about not giving up. I love that little detail about this, but it's also a great parable because of these two characters. First, we have this judge who has a reputation of not fearing God and not caring about people. And then a few lines later, he literally says that exact same thing. I just think it's so funny that there's narration that says he doesn't fear God, he doesn't care about people, And then a few words later, he says, I don't fear God and I don't care about people. And it makes me laugh every time. But we get the picture, right? This is not a good guy. And yet, even he grants the woman's request because of her persistence. Now, the point here isn't to compare God to this uncaring judge and say that God is like this judge. The point here is that if persistence works on this bad of a person, imagine how much more it works on a perfect judge like God who actually wants to grant our requests. And then our second character, our main character, stands out for who was chosen to be this main character. See, in this day, widows would have been considered the lowest possible rank, especially in a court of law. Women, back in that day, women's testimonies in a court of law held absolutely no way, and widows were not allowed to work in that society. So they would be completely dependent upon the government for welfare or for the generosity of other people. And so here's someone who has no legal standing, has no social standing, is not allowed to have a job, has no social power at all. And yet this is who marches into court and not only marches into court where she has no power, but makes demands of this judge who has all the power And she makes these demands and ultimately has her requests granted. The point for us of this parable, for us in prayer, is clear. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you stand. It doesn't matter what you are like, what your personality is, how rich you are, how powerful you are, what you've been through. None of that matters. The most powerless person in prayer, through persistence and through trusting God, can receive and have their requests granted. The point for us is that we should always pray and go beyond always praying and be persistent in prayer. But how do we do that? How do we be persistent in prayer? The practice for this one, to be annoying in prayer, to be persistent in prayer, is to keep on. Wherever you're at, say that with me, keep on. The practice of keeping on comes to us from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, verse seven. And I love the way that the NLT puts it. It says this, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. See, of all the challenges to prayer, the one that we all come up against over and over throughout our lives is the challenge of unanswered prayer. Why did God not answer my prayer to heal my dad? Why won't God answer our repeated prayers to give us a child? Why won't God just take away this addiction that I'm struggling with? See, we pray for all of these things and sometimes God just doesn't answer. And so we get discouraged and we stop asking. And I'm not suggesting or guaranteeing that being persistent in prayer and keeping on asking I'm not suggesting that it's a guarantee that everything we ever ask for God will go exactly our way. But I I do know that Jesus doesn't ask us to ask, but to keep on asking. He doesn't tell us to seek, but to keep on seeking. He doesn't tell us to knock, but to keep on knocking. So whatever issue you've brought to the Lord time and time again, keep on bringing it. Whatever the deepest desire of your heart is that you've asked the Lord about multiple times, keep on asking. Whatever challenging thing you've you've begged God to help you through, keep on begging. See, I love that each of these three verbs that Jesus uses, ask, seek, knock, they implicitly carry with them the possibility of rejection. He could have said, demand, find, knock down, kick down, but he didn't. He invited us into the vulnerability of relationship. He invited us to ask things of him the way that children ask their parents for things. He asked us to seek after him the way uh, a lover seeks after the object of their desire. He asked us to knock the way that a weary traveler would knock on the door of a safe refuge. See, Jesus invites us into this lifestyle of vulnerability in prayer. He invites us into a life of increasing faith in who he is, a life of increasing trust in his goodness, and a life of a deeper relationship with him. And he invites us, the way that we get there, is to keep on, to be persistent, to be annoying, to always pray and never give up. And the last way for us to pray that I want to talk about today is for us to pray like Jesus. Earlier, we mentioned that it's a pretty common feeling to not think that you really know how to pray. I think all of us at some point have this fear that everyone else has prayer figured out, but we don't. We think it's unique to us, or maybe we kind of know how to pray, but we're unsure about how to pray better, about how to advance in our prayer life, to go deeper in our life, prayer. And what I find incredibly encouraging is that I am far from the first person to feel like this. In fact, Jesus' 12 disciples, the 12 people that Jesus hand-selected to go everywhere with Him, to experience life with Him, to be with Him constantly for the three most intense and productive years of Jesus' life, they felt like they didn't know how to pray. In Luke 11, it tells us the story about how Jesus was praying. Big surprise, right? That's a pretty regular thing. He does that a lot. And the disciples, once he was done, walked up to him and asked him to teach them how to pray. They've seen Jesus live this life of prayer. They've seen him constantly slipping away in the early morning and in the middle of the day and at night to go and pray. And they want some of that. And so they go to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. And Jesus' answer is what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And it's found in Matthew chapter six. It says, our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, some of you may have that memorized, likely in a different translation with slightly different words, but it's one of Jesus's most famous teachings. And I think it's so well-known because there's so much good that Jesus gave when he was teaching us to pray like him. So I wanna zoom in on three specific uh, phrases from the Lord's Prayer, and then a helpful way to think about them. So the three phrases are, your will be done, May your name be kept holy and on earth as it is in heaven." And then the three things that I find helpful are to think of these prayers in specific directions, in, up, and out. And so when we pray, your will be done, that is an inward prayer. We are asking for God's will instead of ours. We are asking Jesus to rework our desires to be more like his desires, to change the things that we want into the things that he wants, to become like Jesus to the point of longing for the same things that he longs for. See, praying your will be done transforms who we are on the inside and it forms us into people who think and act and want the things like Jesus. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, the result is that we become more like the Lord. And then the next phrase is, may your name be kept holy, or hallowed be your name. See, praying this phrase directs our attention upward. It reminds us that prayer isn't just talking to ourselves. It isn't just thoughts in our head. It isn't shouting into the void. It's not some passive thing that we do. In prayer, we are communicating with the creator of everything. We are speaking with the source of everything that exists. And this realization shapes and sets the tone for all of our other prayers. To recognize who God is in prayer, to keep his name holy is to recognize the rightful place of God and everything else. See, when we get God right, when we keep his name holy, when we recognize who he is, when we get God right, it is easier to get the rest right. May your name be kept holy. And the last phrase is on earth as it is in heaven which is a prayer that moves us out. The Lord's Prayer, it leads us in, it helps us become more like Jesus and to desire what he desires. It focuses our attention up on keeping his name holy, reminding us who we are praying to is the one who has the power to change things. And then it moves us out. Stanley Grins says it like this, as we pray, we become the instruments of the spirit in opening the situations that we face to receive the inbreaking of God's rule in the present. And through prayer, we move history toward that day when the kingdom will arrive in its fullness and God's work in the world will reach its final goal. In praying on earth as it is in heaven, we are allowing God's reality to become the reality of now. We are looking at things that are not, things that are currently broken and wrong and not the way that they should be. And we are believing that through the power of God, they could be different. We are looking beyond ourselves. We're looking beyond our current moment. We are looking beyond our current situation, beyond our need, and we are seeing things from God's perspective. But the question is, how do we do it? How do we pray like Jesus? A good practice that I found for this one is simply to memorize The Lord's Prayer, if you haven't already. If you have already memorized it, maybe try memorizing it in a different translation and see how the different phrases change and bring out different meaning and different ideas in your spirit. For me, I found a biblically accurate paraphrase that I really like. I wrote it out on a piece of paper, and then I put that piece of paper displayed on the wall by my desk. And then each afternoon, after I've had my lunch and put my son down for a nap, I look up And I read it and I pray through it. Some days that looks like I just recite the words and I let them refocus me and re-energize me and remind me of what my purpose is. And then other days I dwell on it. I read each phrase and I let the Holy Spirit guide my imagination and I use those words as a place to start my prayers from and move through those phrases and into praying for the needs that I know of and into relationship with Jesus. Another practice to help us pray like Jesus beyond simply employing his words is to imitate his life. As we mentioned earlier, Jesus seemed to have an established rhythm of prayer. He prayed early in the morning. He prayed in the middle of the day. He prayed in the evening. He prayed late at night. Like Jesus then, we should also attempt to establish a rhythm of prayer. Yes, we should pray without ceasing, but not at the exclusion of fixed times of prayer. But no matter who we are, no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus, the, the invitation is the same, to go deeper in a life of prayer, to commit to prayer as a lifestyle, whether it's in the morning, whether it's in the midday, whether it's in the evening, or whether you're feeling really wild, really ambitious, and you have fixed times of prayer at each of those in addition to praying without ceasing throughout each moment of your day-to-day life. But this is what Jesus invites us into. This is what a deeper relationship with Jesus looks like. It looks like praying without ceasing. It looks like praying annoyingly to keep on praying. And it looks like praying like Jesus. And so to close today, I want to once again invite you to imagine with me I want you to imagine what would be different in your life if you took on this deeper life of prayer. What would look different in your community whether it's your small group or your group of friends or your family. What would be different in those relationships if you took on this deeper life of prayer. What could be different in our church if we collectively took on this deeper life of prayer. What would look different in our city if we as a church took on this deeper life of prayer? A phrase that I heard a lot growing up and that I really believe with all of my heart is that prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. And so my invitation to you today is to live out that conviction in your daily life, to live deeper into prayer. Maybe for you, that means starting right now as we move into a time of worship, that as the songs play, you get alone, you close out distractions and you get alone with God and have that fixed, time of prayer. Maybe for you, it looks like putting into practice, practicing the presence of God, where no matter what's going on in your day, no matter what your schedule looks like from moment to moment, your day is a prayer that has moments and events and things in it, but ultimately your life is a life of prayer. But whatever it looks like for you in your personal life, I challenge you, I encourage you to find time this week to go deeper into a life of prayer. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that we are able to have a relationship with you, that you invite us into a relationship with you where we can ask things of you. In fact, that is what you want from us. You want us to ask and keep on asking. You want us to seek after you and to keep seeking after you. You want us to knock at the door and to keep on knocking. And so I pray that as we close our time of teaching here together, that you would help us to put into practice and to live out the truth of your word, that we would pray without stopping, that we would never stop praying. I pray that you would help us to persist in prayer, to keep on in our prayers, and I pray that you would help us to pray the way that you did. And I just am excited to hear and see all of the things that you do through each individual, through this community, through our church, as we step into a deeper life of prayer. I thank you for what you have for us. I thank you that we have access to you and that as we go about the rest of our day, that you go with us and that we can turn to you at any time. Thank you, Jesus, so much for who you are and how much you love us. In your name we pray, amen.